Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. those of you who don't know me, my name's Chris Rhea. I'm the teaching pastor here. And we're in the second week of a series called How to Kill a Spider. And the premise of this series is that as human beings, we spend a lot of time trying to clean cobwebs out of our own personal lives, but we ignore the spider. And if we could kill the spider, we wouldn't have to ever worry about a cobweb again. And in his book, Kill the Spider, Carlos Whitaker, he defines a spider as this. He says, a spider is an agreement that we make with a lie. It's an agreement we make with a lie and we begin to believe that lie. And a cobweb is any medicator that brings false comfort to that lie. And so, so many times in our lives, we focus purely on the cobwebs or the destructive behaviors in our lives, but we never ask the question, why? Why do I behave this way? Why can't I get victory over this one area of my life that I've been struggling with for years and years? Why do I act so obnoxious around that one person all the time? Why am I so defensive? Why do I get controlling? Why am I addicted to alcohol, drugs, or pornography? Why do I desperately need the approval of others? Why? Why does there seem to be a relational block between me and God right now? Why? See, we've got to ask the question, why? And last week I showed you a diagram. I'm going to show it to you again this morning. And the diagram looks like this. Identity, beliefs, mindsets, environments lead to our behaviors. But so many times we just try to clean this part up, just the behavior, and we ignore our identity, our beliefs, our mindsets, and our environments. And last week we talked about identity being the foundation of our belief system. And if the foundation's cracked, it'll produce spiders in our lives. And if you're a Christian... Your identity is a son or daughter of the living God. That's who you are. That's what we talked about. God sees you. He loves you. He's for you. He's behind you. He's got good things in store for you. But this week, I want to focus on our beliefs and our mindsets because belief always precedes behavior. Belief always precedes behavior behavior. What we believe affects how we behave. And I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates this. It's a story about a kid named Tim. And Tim's a freshman in high school, and he's so excited. He just tried out for his high school basketball team, and he was competing to be the starting point guard on the team. And he found out from his coach 10 days before the opening game that he, in fact, was going to be the starting point guard. He, it was a close competition, but he won it, and he was so excited about this. On his way home, he's riding his bike. He falls off of his bike, and he sprains his ankle. And all of a sudden, fear hits him. 
oh my gosh, opening day is 10 days away. There's no way I'm going to be ready for this. So he gets home. He limps into the front door. He's crying. He's upset. And his dad walks in the door. Now, his dad happens to be a surgeon. And his dad walks in. And he says, Tim, I want you to put your leg up. And Tim puts his leg up, and immediately his dad puts ice on his leg, on his ankle. And Tim, he's starting to behave in this irrational way. Fear and anxiety and stress just grips him, and he says, there's no way I'm going to be ready. I'm going to lose my starting job. I'm going to be a failure in life. I'm never going to go. All these scenarios, these what-if scenarios start coming out of this kid because of fear, because he's worried he's not going to be able to play. And his dad looks at him, and he says, Tim, do you know what I do for a living? And he said, I know you're some kind of doctor or something. And he said, Tim, I want you to come to work with me tomorrow. So the next day, uh, Tim's father brings him to work, and he gets called into surgery, and he brings his son into the operating room. And he says, I want you to watch this. And so Tim's father goes ahead and surgically repairs someone's broken, shattered ankle, puts it together. And in the process of this, one of the nurses lean over to Tim and says, Tim, your dad's the best surgeon we have in this town. They get in the car on the ride home, and Tim's whole demeanor is different. It's changed. He looked at his dad, and he had peace. And he said, I'm going to be all right, aren't I? And his dad looked at him, and he said, Tim, I promise you, I'm going to fix your ankle. You will be the starter that day. Everything's going to be okay. See, what happened in this story is the circumstance doesn't change. Tim still has a swollen ankle, but his mindset about what happened changed. His beliefs changed. See, he started to see that his father, he started to see what his father was capable of. And when we see what our father is capable of, our mindset and our beliefs begin to change. You see, we can make the same situation better or worse in our minds. We can be going through the same circumstance, and it's devastating, and it's hard. But what we believe, what we choose to believe about that circumstance will dictate how we feel about it and what our life is like from it. And as we go through life, our beliefs are shaped, and our beliefs create powerful mindsets. So what we believe plays a huge role in how we live our life. And so many times, we believe lies about ourselves because we don't know who our Heavenly Father is or what He's capable of. Life disappointments, pain, fear, worry, stress, toxic thinking, shame, guilt, all of these things can lead us to believe lies about ourselves and about God. And these lies begin to shape and change and define our beliefs. And these lies can lead us to conclude that God has abandoned us. These lies get us to believe that he's not going to come through for us, that maybe he's removed his hand from us. Maybe we've done something so wrong and now God's not going to move on our behalf. And the life choices and decisions we make then begin to stem from toxic mindsets. And when you're making serious life choices from a place of 
a toxic mindset, believing lies, that's when you make the wrong choices. And that's when you see good people get caught up in destructive behavior patterns. But if our beliefs and mindsets have a solid foundation of God's love and grace, and if we get the emotional healing that we need for our minds, we'll make choices from a much healthier place and we'll have such a more prosperous future. See, I want you to understand something. We are in a cosmic battle between good and evil. And we have a God who loves us. We sang all about it this morning, and it's true. We have a God who loves us so fiercely, and he's constantly trying to convince us of truth. He wants us to know that he's with us, that he created us that he knows everything about us, that he has good things for our future, that heaven's real, that we don't have to fear death, that he's in control despite painful circumstances that you go through. He is still good and he's still in control. But the enemy wants to bombard our mind with lies that pull us away from that truth. He wants us to doubt God. He wants us to believe we are alone and we are abandoned. He wants us to live in fear instead of peace. He wants to pull us away from trusting God with our lives. That's his job. And a lot of times we begin to believe the lies instead of walking in the truth. John 8, 44, Jesus warns us about this. He says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. And the main way that the enemy lies to us is he pulls us away from the power of the cross. The power of what Jesus did on the cross. I was having a conversation earlier this week with my brother Tony about this very thing. And Tony said, you know, it's not that we don't trust God, but sometimes we don't trust us. We don't believe that our performance is good enough to get the hand of God to move in our lives. And so we doubt us instead of God. But when we do that, the cross becomes powerless. See, everything Christ did on the cross was to set us free from those lies and from, the, from us thinking that it's all up to us to move the hand of God. We couldn't move the hand of God, so he sent Christ to us. So the enemy lies to us, and he tries to keep us worried about life. Because if we're worried and worried and anxious and fearful all the time, he keeps us in a place of defeat. And then you have a bunch of Christians walking around defeated. And that's not the life of faith, victory, abundance, and favor, and good success that, that Jesus came to the cross so we could have. So today I want to talk about some mindsets that are plaguing our culture. Fear, anxiety, and depression. In his book, Anxious for Nothing, Max Lucado defines anxiety as a meteor shower of what-ifs. You see, fear and anxiety are similar, 
but they're different. Fear sees a threat, but anxiety imagines one. Let me give you an example of this. If you're swimming in the ocean and you're having a great time and the lifeguard gets on his bullhorn and says, hey, everybody, get out of the ocean. There's sharks in the area. Fear says there's a threat. Your heart starts pounding and you start swimming faster than you've ever swam to shore. Fear can actually be a a good thing in in that situation. But what anxiety does is it imagines a shark being in an ocean all the time and you'll never step foot in the ocean. You'll never swim in the ocean because there might be a shark and you might get attacked. You see the difference. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. And both of these can create depression because we stop seeing hope for the future. So they're all tied together. It's a real problem in our country. In a given year, 50 million Americans will feel the effects of panic attacks, phobias, or other anxiety disorders. Our chest will tighten, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded, we'll fear crowds, and we will avoid people. Anxiety disorders in the U.S. are the number one mental health problem among women and second only to drug and alcohol abuse among men. And the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and loss of productivity. Why? Well, researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order has changed more in the last 30 years than it did in the previous 300 years. The existence of the internet, smartphones, 24-hour news, constantly hearing of threats around us. You see, in our grandparents' generation, if there was an earthquake in Nepal, they wouldn't hear about it for days. They might not even hear about it at all. In our parents' generation, they had something called the nightly news. Came on once once a day. And you'd listen to that. And you'd hear about what's going on in the world. But today, we barely have processed one crisis and we hear about another one because of technology, smartphones. We get bombarded with negative news 24 hours a day. In addition to that, we're moving faster than we've ever moved before. Our ancestors traveled as far as a horse could take them during the sunlight. We can be on the other side of the country in five hours. We can be on the other side of the world in a day. We're moving faster than we've ever had been. You see, our grandparents, when the sun went down, they turned their brains off when the sun set. They started to wind down before bed. Us, when the sun goes down, we plug in. Turn the TV on, have our laptops, have our smartphones, and we literally are putting stuff in our brains to the minute we go to sleep. If you're waiting in line, you can't wait in line and just wait there. You got to pull out your phone and do something. Because if I have to wait in the grocery line for three minutes and just stand there, no way am I doing that. I've got to be playing euchre on my phone for the three minutes that I'm standing there. That's what we're up against. And it leads uh, to a lot of fear and worry. It really does. And as Christians, we think we should be exempt from it or we should be better than it. 
because after all, there's so many scriptures in the Bible, do not worry, be anxious for nothing. So now when we get worried or we are anxious, then all of a sudden we face guilt for that as well. So we get on the worry, guilt, worry, guilt train. But I want to give you some hope this morning. I really do. I want to give you some hope because I believe that some people are going to get set free in this place today. You see, the presence of anxiety in our society is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. There are going to be things that are going to lead to stress in your life. Work, family. There, you, you can't avoid stress or anxiety, but the prison of anxiety is optional. So the presence of it is unavoidable, but the prison of it is optional. And maybe you're here in this place and you say, Chris, what do you know about anxiety, depression? There's some of us on medication here. We need it just to survive. You have no idea what you're talking about. Some of us have real chemical imbalances and real issues. So how can you say the prison is optional? Well, let me tell you a story. I'm not a worrier by nature at all. In fact, I tend to be one of those people who think the world is better than it's ever been. I know some people call me naive for this, but I really do. I think we've always had good and we've always had evil, and you just see it more because of our phones and because of 24-hour news. I believe the world is getting better. I do. I don't fear getting on planes. I don't fear driving. I don't fear an economic collapse. I really don't. In fact, when stocks go down, I put more money in. And I'm like, they're on sale. <laughs> I don't fear natural disasters. I can't control that. I'm not going to fear it. I don't fear driving in the car when it's snowing. It's exciting. It's a challenge. <laughs> I don't fear that. But 2017 was a different year for me than any other in my life. You see, at the end of 2016, I lost a good friend of mine and co-worker, and he passed away, and we were kind of very devastated about that. Then early in 2017, I had to put my dog down of 15 and a half years. And I know some of you are like, so what? Move on from that. That's not that big of a deal. But for us, we, Megan and I got this dog six weeks into our marriage, and we had it our whole marriage. And, and putting him down was very traumatic. It really was, being in that room. And I never really grieved. I never cried about it. I never dealt with it. Then a couple months after that, I decided to just sell my house. Megan and I were like, hey, let's go on an adventure. Let's sell our house. The market's high. We sold our house. Sold it in a day. We sold our house, and then we had um, an estate sale. We said, hey, let's not just sell our house. Let's get rid of our stuff. Let's, let's just reset here. And so we did that. And I moved into this condo, and, I'm, and for the first time in my life, I started to feel the symptoms of anxiety thinking, what in the world did we just do? Why did we do that? What were we thinking? Did we just shipwreck our financial future? Did we make a big mistake? What were we thinking? It was the first time in my life I started to have a fear about the future. On top of that, Megan and I started a nonprofit ministry designed to help people rise above the painful circumstances that keep their lives small. And so at nights and on the weekends, instead of resting, we were working. And we started to see a lot of success from that. 
And my responsibilities here at church have increased too over the past year. So my level of stress is kind of, it was kind of going up and going up and going up and going up. It's never really bothered me because I've always been a person who is driven and can handle a lot. But early in November, on a Thursday, I started feeling sick. I didn't have an appetite. I started feeling uh, some weird symptoms, and I had trouble sleeping Thursday night. Same thing Friday, same thing Friday night. And then Saturday morning, November 4th, I woke up, and my chest was pounding. I was sweating profusely. Everything was spinning. And I told Megan, something's wrong. Something's physically wrong with me. I don't know if I'm having a heart attack or what, but I need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. I was in the ER for six hours. They were running multiple tests on me. They said, well, the good news is you're not having a heart attack. The bad news is you're having an anxiety attack. I said, what? What is that? I knew nothing about this. You're having an anxiety attack. She said, in fact, the serotonin levels in your brain have become completely depleted and they can't replace themselves right now and you're in a constant state of fight or flight mode. They wrote me a script for some meds, told me to see a psychologist and sent me on my way. And I want to tell you that the next three weeks of my life were the darkest three weeks I've ever lived on this earth. I can't even explain what it's like to not be able to sleep or eat for days on end and to feel like you're in a constant state of adrenaline all of the time. I'd never experienced anything like it, and most people, they can't understand it when I try to explain it to them. But it was dark. But it was in that darkest hour of my life that God revealed some, impo- some incredibly powerful things to me. It was in the darkest hour that I saw the depth of God's love for me. You see, what, what I realized through all of this is somewhere along the line, I had taken everything into my own hands. I refused to grieve. I refused to deal with emotional pain. I refused to say that anything's wrong in my life. I just shoved it down and down and down. All of the pain in my life, all of the trauma over the years, all the things I've walked through, never dealt with them, shoved them down. I'm tough. I don't need to deal with it. I don't need to talk to someone about this. I'm fine. Well, I wasn't fine. I was living my life from a place of depletion. My soul was depleted. And my physical body said, uh, We can't do this anymore. You've got to address some things in your life. See, it was a spiritual attack of the enemy on my identity in Christ and my beliefs and my mindsets. So as hard as this three weeks of my life was, and it actually went on longer, a little bit longer than that, but as as hard as it was, I wouldn't trade it because what I learned in that season has taught me some powerful things about God and myself. And I am the healthiest in my spirit and in my soul and in my body that I've ever been. So I'm... So for the remainder of the time, what I want to do is I want to teach you what God revealed to me. 
And I really believed that God revealed this to me and I walked through this so that I could help some people. So I could, you could learn from me and maybe not have to go through with what? Like go through what I went through. And some people in here, maybe you're totally relating to my story right now. I feel that way. I felt that. I felt those same things. Maybe some of you, you understand stress, we're in anxiety, maybe not to that level. And maybe others of you are in here and you're going, anxiety, stress, depression, come on, just cheer up. Stop worrying. You're fine. And that was my attitude before I went through this, was like, I really didn't understand depression because I was like, we have the joy of the Lord, right? You know, he's our strength. We're good. We got a prosperous future. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand anxiety. I didn't understand worry and fear. I had compassion for people who walked through it, but I myself didn't understand it. But now I do. And I get it. And I have so much compassion for you if you're struggling with that. And I want to acknowledge that there are people in here with serious um, medical needs, mental problems, and I have so much compassion for you, and I'm hoping that we can help set some people free this morning. And the thing is, I want to tell you in this place, if you're in here and you're on medication for anxiety, depression, or fear, that's okay. Don't ever let anyone make you feel like a second-rate Christian or like you don't have faith because you have to go on medication for a season of your life. Don't do it. I thank God that we live in America and we have the ability to have wise doctors who can prescribe some things to help us. But I will also say this. In addition to taking medicine, you still have a responsibility to do your part. Sometimes we want to completely rely on the medication. But we have a responsibility to have healthy beliefs and mindsets, no matter what. So we've got to work on those things. And I want to give you three ways to kill uh, the spiders that lead to emotional pain, like anxiety, fear, worry, and depression. I want to give you three things to do. The first thing that we have to do is we have to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. A Christian therapist told me, move forward without, condem without condemnation, but look back and understand how you got here. It's not normal that you got here. Why did you get to this place? Identify it and then move forward. Psalm 23 is an important passage of Scripture to me. And when I was struggling... My wife came and she read this to me. Psalm 23, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My wife came to me with this passage of Scripture, and she said, Chris, I want you to know something. You're walking 
through the valley, but I want to bring your attention to the word through. You're walking through it. You're not going to live there. This is not your new normal. Because I don't know about you, but when you walk through a dark valley, your mind starts telling you, I'm never going to get over this. This is my life now. I'm going to live like this forever. And she looked me in the eye and she said, that is a lie. You're walking through the valley. You're not living in the valley. And then she said to me, he restores your soul. Jesus restores your soul. He's the one that brings his love and goodness and peace into your life to restore you in your darkest hour. But you got to keep moving forward through this valley. Because sometimes we want to put the red flag up when we're facing anxiety, fear, and depression, a hardship, a painful circumstance that is real, we want to just say, I'm done. I'm staying in bed. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done. We want to wallow in it, but we can't. We've got to force ourselves to keep moving forward through the valley. Keep moving forward. Even though it's painful, we've got to do our part. And part of moving forward is controlling what you can control and letting go of what you can't. There are some things that we can control. We can spend time in God's Word. We can worship. You know it's almost impossible to worry and worship at the same time. We can do those things. We can go talk about our life problems with people who are wise and can help us walk through them. We can exercise and eat healthier. We can start to have better self-esteem and self-control in our lives. Those are some things that we can do that are in our control to move forward. But the things that are outside of our control, we have to give to God. You see, anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. Stress, worry, and anxiety increase as control starts to get away from us. You ever notice that the most stressed out people in life are control freaks? They're stressed out all the time. Because they're trying to control something that's out of their control. We can't control the weather, but we try to, and it's out of our control. And so, they're the ones that are, are stressed out because they fail at the quest they most pursue. Because control isn't ours. It's God's. And there's certain things that happen in this life that are beyond our control. We will get bad reports. Things will happen. The rain will come. It's out of our control. And we have to learn how to give those things to God. Control what we can control and let go of what we can't. See, to change the way a person responds to life, we have to change what a person believes about life. We're not victims. We are sons and daughters of a sovereign God who loves us, who's for us, and he has this whole world in the palm of his hand. So that's the first thing, keep moving forward. The second thing is we've got to clean out the dark places of our souls. 
You see, the enemy loves to attack the dark places. Once you get something into the light, that's when you can have victory over it. So if you have a secret addiction, you need to tell someone and get it into the light. If you have pain about things that have happened to you in this life, you've got to talk about it and get it out of the darkness and into the light. Ephesians 5.11 says this, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 5.13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's powerful. When we bring things out of the darkness and into the light, they lose power and they can become strengths in our lives. On November 14th, 10 days after my experience in the emergency room, I was still a mess. And I want to tell you something. It's hard for me to talk about this. It is. Because as a pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to always have it all together. I don't walk through this kind of stuff. I help other people walk through this. But I want to tell you, I'm a human being, and I'm hoping that my vulnerability shows that this morning. There was a time I didn't know if I'd get back up on this platform. But I praise God that I'm up here right now. But I was still a mess 10 days after this. And I remember I went into a room in my house and I got a book by Neil T. Anderson called um, Steps to Freedom in Christ. And I said, you know what, God? I'm not leaving this room until you lift something off of me. Because I'm not leaving. There's too much going on and I have too much at stake. And I know this is a spiritual attack and I'm not leaving until you do something. And so I started walking through the steps to freedom in Christ. It's an inner healing book. And during this book, each step includes looking deep into your soul and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's there. You see, the process forces you to face pain, to face the lies that you've made agreement with, and to face your fears, to face the spiders. So first, I dealt with the pain. I asked God to help me remember all the painful experiences in my life. That's fun. You know, that's, that's always a fun afternoon. God, will you reveal to me all the painful experiences of my life? And I got this journal out, and I began to write in it the painful experiences of my life, the life disappointments, the loss the people that have hurt me. And I started writing them down. And then one by one, I started praying through them. took hours. I started praying through them. I started choosing to forgive and let go of anyone who's hurt me in my life. God, I choose to forgive. I choose to let it go. And God began to clean my soul in that area. Then the lies. I had to deal with the lies. And I started writing down lies that I was believing in my life. And I'm ashamed, kind of, to read these to you, but I'm going to. This is what I started to believe about myself. You're not a man of God. 
You're not a good husband. You're a terrible pastor. You're not very good at speaking. You're a hypocrite. You've shipwrecked your life. You'll always deal with anxiety now. You're not a good leader. God has removed his hand from you. Other pastors and leaders would never be dealing with what you're dealing with. You are weak and fragile now. You won't be able to enjoy life anymore. You've ruined your financial future. These are the lies that I began to believe about myself. And we all have lies. And somewhere along the line, those lies become real to us. So I put those down. Then I addressed the fears. I listed some of my what-if scenarios about the future and realized I'm not going to fear the future. I'm going to put it in God's hands. Then I began to pray. And I began to pray through each of these things. I began to talk with my wife and pray with her and talk about it with her. And what I began to do is take it out of the darkness and into the light. And I forgave myself that afternoon. You see, when you're a pastor and you start believing lies about yourself, you start to feel like a fraud. Like here, I'm the one up here speaking truth all the time. And I'm dealing with these lies? How is that possible? And I actually was mad at myself for that. And I began to forgive myself for getting to this place. And then I realized something that totally shocked me. I was harboring some resentment and animosity towards God for some things that have happened in my life. And I hate saying that because I'm the kind of person that believes God is good because he put breath in my lungs and he gave me Christ and I have an eternity with him. He doesn't owe me a thing. I am blessed. But the truth was there were feelings of that there and I had to address them. And I found out that he's big enough to handle that. And I confessed that to God. And I said, God, I don't want anything between us. I want you in my life. And I want to know that you're with me, that you haven't left, that your hand isn't off of me. I need to know. And when I said that in my room, I felt the presence of, the, of God come into that place. And he began to lift this weight off of me. He lifted it off of me in a moment. I felt free. My wife came into the room and she said, something's happening. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm getting free right now. I'm getting free. All of a sudden, my stomach growled. I hadn't eaten in 10 days without forcing something down. My stomach growled. I'm like, I'm hungry. My wife sprinted to the kitchen. Whipped up some eggs and some toast, brought it up to me, and I ate it. And it felt so good to eat again. The little things, when you're going through something hard. And it felt good to eat again. And I'd love to say at that moment, I was healed and everything was gone. No, I equate it to this. When you go in to have surgery on a broken leg, the doctor fixes your leg, but it takes six or eight weeks to recover from it, Right? I knew in that moment, Jesus killed the spiders in my life. They're gone. 
He did it. He met me. I had to face my fear. I had to face the lies. I had to face the pain. And it was hard. But when I did, he met me. And he lifted it off of me. We've got to face it. And once we face it, we've got to replace it with truth. See, it wasn't enough for me just to face it and to have that experience with God. Now I had to replace the lies, the fear, the pain with truth because if you don't, the enemy comes right back and continues to lie to you. And so I asked the Lord, God, how do you see me? I want to know how you see me. And I began to write down some declarations of truth that I want to share with you this morning. And I'm not saying this in a boastful way. Trust me. It's hard for me to believe this. But I believe this is who, how God sees me. And I wrote these statements of truth down. I'm a man of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of Christ in me. I'm a faithful husband who loves, cherishes, and protects his wife. I'm a sinner saved by grace and empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead God's church. I've been given the gift of leadership and teaching by God himself, and he has given me a platform to use my gifts. My future is bright, full of hope, full of peace, full of fruit. I've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and soundness of mind. I have the mind of Christ. He's transforming. He's renewing my mind, and he has put things back in order for me. God has set me apart since birth to do ministry. He's called me, he's equipped me, and he will carry this work into completion. I am a self-controlled, godly man of character and integrity. I make wise choices that lead to a prosperous future. I'm a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. I am strong in the Lord. I am a man who has great strength. I choose to believe and not doubt. I am confident. I am a good mentor and friend. I will continue to equip those around me to be better. I am driven, hardworking, and competent. I will continue to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. My mind is healed. It's restored. It's better than it ever was before. I am fully forgiven, fully restored, fully empowered, fully loved, and fully free from my past of guilt and shame. I am a positive, upbeat, and fun person to be around. I have more than enough money, and my future finances are blessed because I'm a good steward of what God gives me. I am a rock built and established on Christ, my solid foundation. Nothing that happens in this life can faze me because my foundation is solid. That's who I am. That's who I am. Now I just got to keep believing it. We got to replace the lies with the truth. All of us need to do that. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is once we address the issues and we're moving forward, we're controlling what we can control, letting go of what we can't, cleaning out the dark places of our soul, replacing it with truth, the last thing we have to do is we've got to keep our eyes on Christ. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ. Psalm 16, I memorized it. I read it over and over again. My wife 
put it everywhere I could see it. She put it on my mirror. She put it on my Bible. She put it on my chair. She put it on my pillow. She put it everywhere I could see it. Psalm 16. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will rest secure. When we keep our eyes always on Christ, at our right hand, our place of strength, and we don't take them off of him and look at our circumstances, but we choose to trust him with our lives and we keep our eyes there, we will not be shaken. Our bodies have to rest secure. They have to. We won't be shaken. Max Lucado says this, he says, your anxiety decreases as your understanding of the Father increases. As we begin to realize what our Father's capable of, anxiety decreases. Psalm 18, the psalmist says, they confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. In the day of my disaster, the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to rescue you? Not because you've worked so hard. Not because you've prayed day and night. Not because you've worked for it. But because he delights in you. He rescues you because he delights in you. I've read that one over and over again as well. Then Connie Bauer here in the front row sent me a prophetic word with this verse in it. You see, we have to remember who God is, what he's capable of. We don't have to spend our time striving and working for his approval, working for his hand to move. We've got to face some fears. We've got to face some pain. We've got to face some tough things. And then we've got to replace the lies with the truth. Keep our eyes on Christ and remember he wants to rescue you simply because he delights in you. And if you keep doing those things, if you do these things, keep moving forward cleaning out the dark places of your soul, replacing it with truth. Keeping your eyes on Christ. If you do these things, I'm telling you, the destructive behaviors, the cobwebs, they'll go. You won't even have to worry about them. You won't have to try so hard to get rid of them. They will just go because you'll be free. The cobwebs, the symptom, the spider's the problem, and this kills the spider. This will kill the spider. And the destructive behaviors will go. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I just, first of all, just thank you and praise you just for the fact that I'm up here right now. God, you are good. You are good. I thank you for rescuing me I thank you for being faithful, Lord, and I know that you are faithful to every single person in this room right now. You are faithful. 
I thank you that you want to rescue the people in this room who are bound. The people who are bound by addiction. The people who are bound by fear. The people who are bound by lies. You want to set them free in this place. You want us free. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media or searching CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.